listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to Acts 17 as we are continuing on here um, in our series on the book of Acts. And, and, um, and so Acts 17, we'll be looking at that in just a few moments. When I first started out in ministry in Saskatoon as a youth and young adults pastor, I was assigned to go on Monday nights with two older men from the church to go. And, uh, and as I'm telling this, I forgot to tell you about Bibles. Help yourself to a Bible. If you need a Bible, please take one. I'd encourage you to follow along with us. If you don't have a Bible, and I encourage you, if you have a Bible and it's at home, bring it and, uh, and use it. And uh, as um, it's important to see God's word, just not to hear God's word. And so as I was telling you this story before I interrupted myself, um, in Saskatoon, when I started in ministry, I was assigned to go and do door-to-door evangelism with some of the older men in the church. Uh, they were basically the evangelism department, these two older men. And, and I was there to make sure, that, uh, you know, to learn, but also to make sure that they were safe. And, and it's not like we were in a, a neighborhood that was dangerous or anything. It was that these men were old. And, and and, and they needed help to make sure that, that they, they went um, through, uh, were able to maneuver the streets and sidewalks, and especially in the winter when it got a little cold. And, and, and now they were probably only in their 70s, I'm guessing, at that time. But, but in reality, they were moving a lot like it seemed like they were in their 90s, um, simply because of their health and where they were at. One of them had asthma really bad. And it seemed like as soon as we got up the walkway, the walk up the walkway and up the stairs, he was out of breath when he's ringing the doorbell. He's... <gasps> And I'm like, is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? And, and then one of the other gentlemen had the shakes really bad that he could, when he came to drinking a cup of coffee, you could only fill it half full because he would be shaking so badly. And so I was there to kind of assist and make sure that things also went well on a physical level. As, as, uh, and, and, and yet what I saw in these men was a boldness to share the gospel and a passion for that community to take the name of Jesus Christ and to share it boldly and, and passionately with the people there. Now, one of them, those gentlemen, passed away a number of years ago, but one of the other men just passed away in the last couple of weeks and, um, and, and was just shy of his 99th birthday. And it humbled me to find out that even up until his, this last year, even though he had a blood disorder and needed transfusions on a very regular basis, he would go to the prisons and he would hand out Bibles and he would read the Bible and he would share the gospel with the prisoner in, uh, in the Saskatoon area, in the prisons there. And I just thought, what a passion. What a, what, what a great example for us to, to hear about and to remember this, this man who desired to do this. And, and as I went door to door, and any time that you share the gospel, and as I went along with them, you would get certain reactions from people. And, and some of those reactions were, hey, let me think about it. I, I want to know more. And, 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 and old Art, Art Ford would take and he would write down the names of these people and we'd be back there the next week and the next week. Some people said, yes, yes, I want to know more. Or yes, they received Christ right there within at their front door, and then the goal was to get them into a discipleship class on Sunday mornings that these men again led, and and led many people through. Uh, There were others, though, who said no, and said no quite um, politely, respectfully, and then some were not quite so polite and respectful in in what they were doing. And yet, in this, these men were being called um, to be faithful. They, they, They were obeying the call that each one of us has in going out and, and passionately sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. 
They were simply living out a command that Jesus gave to all of his followers. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, and these words are on the screen, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And then again, we have this recorded in Mark chapter 16, where again, Jesus, these words, go into the world and proclaim uh, the gospel to the, whole, to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not will be condemned. And this is the command that we've been given and the mission that we've been given from our God. And, and so we're not only commanded to go, we're compelled to go to share the good news. You see, when the Spirit of God comes into a life and we are saved, there's something that changes within us. As we talked about last week, we've gone from death to life. We, where we've been experiencing defeat in our lives, we can now experience victory through the power of God. Our desires change. Our dreams, our ambitions, our goals in life begin to change. Some of them rather quickly and some of them it takes time in order for that to happen. But we see this going on and there's this, this desire to want to share the good news. I, I believe in every sincere, genuine follower of Jesus Christ, there is desire within you to share the good news. And sometimes we move that into a guilt thing. I know I should, I know I should, but I don't. And I know I should, and I know I should, but I don't. And, and we kind of go through this kind of, you know, thinking in our mind, and, and yet we are commanded to do it, and we are compelled by the Spirit of God within us. We've experienced the good news for ourselves, and we want to share it with others. It, it, as we, we, we take these verses in Mark 16, I mean, what a reality. Those who believe Believe. Those who are believed and, and are baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And that's eternally condemned. And that is a serious warning and something that we keep in mind. And yet, even though we know that proclaiming Christ is a command, and we have this desire, we feel this com compulsion and this desire to want to do it, yet oftentimes we don't. And we come up with all kinds of various reasons and excuses from being too busy and I'm busy in this area, I'm busy with the kids, I'm busy with work, I'm busy with the grandkids, I'm busy with this. And, and really what it boils, starts boiling down to is fear, fear of, of, of rejection, fear of what others might say, uh, fear of, 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 you know, just being looked upon in, in a negative way and, and, and being ridiculed and, and be made fun of. And, and so, so we go around telling ourselves, well, you know what? I'm going to be a silent witness. I'm going to let my light shine by my actions, by, by what I, but, but not so much, it's not going to be so much what I say, but at times what I don't say, you know, I'm not going to cuss like others and I'm not going to laugh at those jokes that are told. And, and, uh, and, 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 and after all, there's that old quote by Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel always and sometimes if necessary, use words. You know, and, and that's, that's, I'm going to get a t-shirt that says that and I'm going to put that in my Bible and, and I want to remember that, that I, through my good works, that, that, that people will just see Jesus in me. And, and, and that does sound good and, and it is wonderful and, and it is should, that, that our lives should be a demonstration of the gospel. But folks, if we can just slash that kind of thinking out of, our, out of our minds and of our thinking, because that's not enough. That's not enough just to, 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 to live a good life and, and, and hope that our good works will draw people to Jesus Christ. We need to change that statement and write down this. I encourage you to go with this one. Preach the gospel. And since it's necessary, use words. We need to use words in order for people to be saved. 
Living a godly life in and out of itself cannot and will not communicate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It will not communicate his substitutionary death for us as sinners. It will not communicate to them the hope of redemption by grace alone, through faith alone. The solas that we heard in that video here this morning and in Romans 10, 13 and 14, if you still don't believe me, write down Romans 10, 13 and 14 and look that full up. The last part of it says in there, and how are they going to hear without someone preaching. They need to hear the preaching. And it isn't about just bringing them into church. It's about that word preaching is heralding. It's proclaiming. It's sharing. And that's something that is on every one of us as followers of Christ to do. Preach the gospel always. And since it's necessary, folks, we need to use words. And so we go we tell others, we proclaim these truths because we're commanded, because we're compelled, because our words are necessary. And it's also the stunning reminder, as we were reminded recently at the Vertical Church Conference, and, and these statistics are all over the place, that approximately 6 billion people in our world do not know Jesus Christ. 6 billion people do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. I just even think when we depart from here later on today and through our interactions today and through this week, you think of the hundreds and the thousands of people that we will walk by, that we will conduct business work with, that we will work beside, that, we, that, that it, you snore alongside, whether you're in a condo and you're snoring up a storm at night and upstairs they're snoring up a storm or in the house, you know, next to you, you know, can almost hear a neighbor snoring, sometimes maybe a house or two down, you know. Uh, these people that we're living with, we're snoring with, we're doing life with together. Hundreds of the thousands in this region that do not know Jesus Christ, we are compelled, we are commanded to go. And it's the reality of what we have already covered here this morning, that for those who do not receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they are eternally condemned. May God forgive us for our lack of passion and willingness and boldness to share Christ. And may we be challenged today from God's word to, 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 to boldly live for Christ and use our words in a way that would see a great harvest of souls in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in the city, in this region, in our nation, around the world. In Acts chapter 17, we see the gospel going forward. We're seeing it being proclaimed. Words are being used, and, and, and it's happening in different cities and different regions. And we looked at this map last week, and, and, and we see that, that as the gospel went out, there were those that accepted, those that believed in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. They were baptized, or they repented of their sins. They were baptized, and as a result, churches were established. And, and at the end of Acts 16, we see a church was established in, in Philippi. And, and then last week, as we looked in, into the start of, Acts 17, we see then that there was a church that, that the preaching, the proclamation of the gospel went forward in Thessalonica and then Berea. And, and, and we also know that there was those that accepted the word, but there's also those that rejected the word and, and just said, no thanks, not interested. But then there were also those that rejected and became that very hostile and very angry and, and, and gave threats and, and, and threats of violence and, 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 and even a mob mentality started to develop in, 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 these, in these areas because of the gospel. For Paul, as he preached the gospel, 
It was like he was upsetting the apple cart, just like five, 500 years ago as we remember and celebrate the, the, the Reformation that took place, that, that Martin Luther and nailing those theses on the wall, is those statements, and, and, and then the outflow from that, the uproar, the war, the upsetting of, of the church and the whole system and, 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 and the work that God ended up doing. And through that, you and I are here today because of the blood and because of the sacrifice of those who gave themselves for that Reformation who were bold enough to stand up just as the Apostle Paul did in these areas. And in the same way, we are called to be bold in our witness, to, to, to be bold proclaimers of Jesus Christ. And yet we will learn today how we go about doing that, how we go about sharing Christ in a culture like this, in the culture that we live in. And so Paul and Silas, when they left, even when they left Philippi, they left with, with bloodied up and, and bruised and beat up backs because of their proclamation of the gospel. They ended up spending time in prison. God broke them out miraculously from that prison. But the, the rejection meant that they suffered physically. They suffered physical violence for that. Just around this world, there are people who are suffering physical violence and emotional violence and verbal violence for their desire to follow Jesus and their desire to live for him. Then as... We saw last week in Thessalonica as Paul was preaching the word there, it, it caused an uproar. There was a mob that formed and threats were happening, so they ended up moving on to Berea. And then in Berea, as they're preaching the gospel there, the thugs from Thessalonica travel the 50 miles and they're like, we're going to get after these guys and, and, and get them here. We, we hear they're down in Berea. Let's go and have a little dust up there. And so, folks, we have to understand that kingdom work will always, always be met with opposition with discouragement, at times false accusations, lies, jealousy, will be mocked at, laughed at. You may get spit upon. You may get ridiculed for the sake of Jesus Christ. It happened then. It can happen now. We must be ready for that and prepare for that. And I believe that a day that is coming, it may be coming even sooner than we think here in our nation, that taking a stand for Christ is going to start, start costing us a lot more. And we have to be ready for that as we see different laws and different legislation that are happening in, in, in our country. And we just see that to, to boldly stand for Jesus Christ may begin to cost in a greater way than we would ever, ever believe or imagined here in our nation. And so now today in Acts 17, we see that these troublemakers, this angry mob comes to Berea and they stir up the trouble. So, so some of the new converts, some, some of the men from Berea say, hey, late, Paul, we need to get you out of here. Your life is in danger. And so they take him and they take him a long ways away. They, they end up taking him down to Athens. And so they even board a ship for part of that. It's about a 200 mile journey. And so um, Timothy and, and, and Silas stay in in Berea and are, are there still for a time. And so these men escort Paul down there. And so then Paul gets to, to Athens. And as he gets there and, and safely, and they make sure he's all good. And then he says to, to the guys who brought him there, he says, now can you just go back and, uh, and tell Timothy and Silas to come at this time. So what's Paul doing in this new city filled with new opportunities and new challenges? As he's walking around Athens, as he's just sitting around saying, ah, I'm waiting for the boys to show up. Going to wait, wait for, for the boys, and then we're going to get rolling. No, he, he, he didn't wait. He was, he was engaging the culture right where, we're, where he was at. And today we're going to see how Paul shared Christ on his own, how he shared Christ boldly as he was a bold witness for Christ, and how he was proclaiming the gospel in a Christless culture. And folks, I believe that today we can learn so much from what he did here in Athens. We can take and apply in our world here, in our environment, here where we are in Canada, which is now a post-Christian culture. 
We could pretty much put our, call ourselves a Christless culture here in the nation that we live in. And so, first of all, in order to proclaim Christ in a Christless culture, in order to pro proclaim the gospel, first of all, we have to check our motivation. What is our motivation for doing this? And, and encourage you to write down, it starts at the heart. It starts at the heart in verse 16. And we see, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked. Within him, as he saw, the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day and those who happened to be there. And so in Athens, he gets there. The boys aren't with him, but he just goes back to doing what he's always has done. He goes to the synagogue. He, he, he seeks out the Jewish one, uh, Jewish uh, uh, believers and, and those who believed in, in the Old Testament and, and followed the Old Testament laws. They weren't believers in Christ yet because they didn't know of Christ yet at this time. They may have heard rumors, but hadn't heard, they hadn't heard the gospel yet. And so he goes to the synagogue and he reasons, just like we talked about last week. He reasons from the scripture. He used the word of God to be able to, to proclaim that to them as he showed them the truth from the word of God and how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. With those over 300 prophecies that no doubt he was working through with them in Athens as well. And so he goes there, but then Paul does something that we don't see him doing. This is the first time that we see this. He does some good old-fashioned street preaching. He goes down to the marketplace and he does some heralding of the gospel. He starts preaching and talking to anyone that would listen. You just can't shut this guy up about Jesus. He has a message and, and he wants to get it out. And, and, and so he's in the marketplace and he's proclaiming, what does it say that he's doing? He's proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection. He's speaking about the one who can change everything for them. But in verse 16, that's a key word. I encourage you to even underline in your Bibles and, and it's the word provoked. He was provoked. That's a loaded word in Greek. It means he was stirred, he was deeply distressed, he even, he even kind of had feelings of anger and, and extreme irritation by what he saw. Paul was rattled by what he saw in the city, and what did he see in the, in the city, what provoked him? He saw all these idols, idols upon idols upon idols. He had never seen anything like this. He had grown up in, in Tarsus, which was a, a pretty pagan area. There would have been idols, but not like what he's now seen in Athens. This was just incredible what he was going on. Ancient writers from this period, it's interesting, claim that there were more idols and statues in Athens, in Athens than there were humans. It was estimated at this time that the population of Athens was around 10,000 people and it was estimated there was at least 30,000 idols and statues on the main streets and thoroughfares of that city. It was jam-packed. It was loaded with statues and with idols. People would bow down and worship. And streets were lined with them. And as a Jewish person, a monotheist, believing only in one God, this provoked him, this distressed him, this caused him great concern. He saw people chasing after, he saw them worshiping, he saw them worshiping and, and bowing down and bringing sacrifices to these idols and, and it stirred him. He saw the emptiness, he just saw how they just kept going from one to another. These people had no peace, they were just looking, they were just searching and, 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 and they're chasing after all of these little g-gods rather than pursuing and, and knowing the one true God, the one true God who could change it all, who could mean that that search would stop and stop with the one true God and they could enjoy a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, today we're not very far off from Athens, are we? Today our streets, our marketplaces, even our homes, they're full of idols. Idolatry is running rampant in our culture, even within our own homes. Our cars, our houses, our possessions. I mean, honestly, I believe the Okanagan area is, is like uh, idolatry on steroids. 
It's just, there's such a, such a focus and a push towards image and towards all of these different things that we think will satisfy and complete, it, complete us. And, 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 and no, we don't have these statues that we're laying down and, 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 and bowing to and worshiping and bringing food sacrifices or whatever towards. But an idol is not just things like that and it's not just necessarily accumulating things. An idol is whatever, listen to this, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then my life will have meaning. Then I'll have value. Then I'll have significance. Whatever you fill that in with, and if it's not the God of this universe, if it's not Jesus Christ, it's an idol in our lives. It might be the approval of man, the approval of others, just wanting people to like us and be recognized for, for who we are and what we do. The gospel sets us free from that kind of affirmation and, and us needing to have approval from others. The relentless pursuit of pleasure, the drive for sex, our possessions, our careers. An idol is a good thing that can become a God thing in our life. Idols can be good things. Our families can become our idols. Good things that become the God thing, the thing that we work for, strive for, dream about, pursue the most in our lives. And so Paul is provoked, he's stirred in his heart over what he's seen. And, and folks, if we're going to proclaim Christ in a Christless culture, it must begin in the heart. He's provoked within. It's not just his duty to go out and share the gospel. It's stirring within him. And in the same way, there's that compelling, that provoke, provoking that needs to be happening in our own lives in order for us to be effective. Are we repenting? Are we identifying the idols in our own lives and then not looking down on others but feel this sense of they're so lost. They're just pursuing this and that and another thing and there's no hope. There's no joy. It's just one thing after another, one thing after another. There's just no end to this. And we see he's stirred in his heart. Are we stirred over the lostness of our family members, of coworkers, of people we go to school with, those in our neighborhood where we just think, oh, they're living their nice little Okanagan life and we're just living ours. The reality that without Christ, they are an endless pursuit that will one day land them in hell is a reality we need to, to embrace and remember. It's Jesus, a picture of Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem, over the lostness and the rejection of the truth. And I pray, folks, in my own heart and and as I can get off focus and I can just think, oh, that's, that's people with the gift, people with the gift of evangelism. And some have that, that, that very strong and solid gift. And yet, folks, this is something that we need to be looking and opening up our eyes to, to have a look inside and see where we're at. And do we have a heart and a passion? Where's our heart when it comes as we look over the lostness of people? I pray that in an increasing way that you and I in this church we would be people provoked and moved and stirred, not just a bellyache about all the, the, the idols and, and the way that our society is, you know, going to hell, you know, so to speak, or even bluntly to be able to say and, and just get, you know, just like all bothered and we talk about it. No, we need to do something about it. Our, 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 our provoked, our stirred up nature means that we need to do something. We need to put our action into, our words into actions and, and do something about it sharing the gospel lovingly. However, we're going to see engaging the culture. We're going to see how this is to be done. And you say, but how? Well, let's learn from Paul. Let's continue. This is what God's word, it, it, it not only shows us historical truths and, and, and these realities, but it shows us how we can take and, and apply this. 
And so the next thing is, how do we do this? By meeting people where they're at. It starts with a motivation, a heart that is stirred, a heart filled with love and compassion and concern for them. But it means meeting people where we're at, where, where they are at. Not, you know, come and, and meet me where I'm at and I'll tell you about Jesus. No, it's meeting people where they're at. Look at in verse 18. So some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. This is again at the marketplace. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. So Jesus is out in the market, or, or Paul is out in the marketplace and he's preaching Jesus, the resurrection. And they're saying, what is this he speaks of? This is just, this is something foreign. This is something we're not used to hearing. And, and they call him a babbler. This was not a compliment. To be called a babbler, a motor mouth, this wasn't a compliment for him. And, and part of the reason why he was a babbler is because he was talking and you couldn't shut the guy up. He was just willing to talk about Jesus and the resurrection to whoever and, and, and whoever would show up. But it was also because it was making no sense to him. I think one of the, the marks that you're maturing, um, in other words, getting old, um, is that you start to enjoy watching birds more. I don't know, just as I've known it, it's usually older people that seem to like birds. And... Um, we don't have bird books yet, okay? Uh, we can just Google it. Um, anyways, like, I mean, and you get the binoculars and you're able to look at birds and, you know, you go, we haven't gone out bird watching, but in our backyard, uh, we get a lot of birds. And, uh, and it's pretty cool, the colors and get the robins and the sparrows that drive you kind of nuts at times. And, and yet, at times, we just laugh at, at just these, these birds because they're, they're like what they're describing Paul here to be like a babbler. Babbler, another way to describe this word and what it means is seed picker. As, as birds go around and they're picking little insects or seeds or whatever they can find and they just kind of go around sporadically, it doesn't seem like there's any plan or purpose or motivation to it. It, it. Well, their motivation is to eat, but they're just going around doing this whole thing. This is what they're accusing Paul of. He's like, he's making no sense. We don't know what he's talking about. And he's just babbling. He's just a seed. That old seed picker, that Paul from Tarsus, you know, uh, you know, just what is this guy up to? But what a tremendous opportunity ends up coming his way as, as the door of opportunity comes. Because here he is, is being labeled this, this seed picker. And yet they're intrigued. He's saying something that's catching their attention. And the gospel is creating a stir as he's talking about Jesus and the resurrection. And you see, in Athens, though, we see, and this is really important, Paul had to change his approach to the gospel. What worked in Philippi, what worked in, in, in Thessalonica and Berea is not going to work and is clearly not working in Athens. This is called contextualizing the gospel. He's taking the gospel and he's putting it into the context where he's at. And this is something we need to learn and something we need to do. It's not changing the message, but it's changing the approach. It's not watering it down. It's not softening the truth, but wisely sharing the gospel at the point of people's need and at the point of their understanding. The way that you're going to share the gospel with a child is going to be different than you're going to share someone with someone in the philosophy department at UBCO. It's just going to be different. We need to contextualize the gospel and, 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 the, and not changing the message, but how we transmit that message. There's different approaches that we need. 
And we need to learn. We need to grow in. We need to become, become uh, much more fluent in being able to do so we can lovingly challenge the JW or the Mormon that comes to your door. Or that friend who is, thinks they're good because they were baptized as, um, baptized as an infant in, in a Catholic church. Or, 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 or a Muslim who uh, has just reads from the Quran. Or, or the Hindu person or the nuns that are around. And, and, you, and, and when I say nuns, I don't mean N-U-N. I mean N-O-N-E. Uh, nun or the nuns. Um, and these are people, this is actually a spiritual classification that is growing. In fact, if you're not aware of the nuns, you better be because it's the fastest growing spiritual um, understanding or philosophy that's out there. And, and, and what is their belief? They don't believe in anything. They're a nun. They, they believe in no religion, none. And not only is it the fastest growing um, spiritual trend in North America, it's certainly in Canada, and according to our last census, they even asked questions on, on the census about this. BC rates is the highest province in Canada for people who identify themselves as a nun, as spiritually as a nun. No religious affiliation, nothing. And 1 Peter 3.15, folks, write this down. There's an important command and a challenge. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. These are things we need to study, the things we need to learn. And, and even um, we've ordered, uh, they should hopefully be in this, this week, uh, a series of books that uh, we'll have available for you next week or even at the church office once they come. What is the gospel? Being able to just, in, in, in 99 pages, just being able to read this and just articulate and grow in your knowledge and understanding. Another one on evangelism and sharing your faith. Another one on who is Jesus, helping to articulate Jesus in a culture that is very much a Christless culture. And so we're going to have these these available as well as where next week, um, Lord willing, we're going to have a book table set up and there's going to be some important books to help you grow in areas of, of theology, areas of understanding the word of God and, and important aspects of God's word, who God is, what he has done and, and, and just the attributes and, and, and important things that, that we as believers need to be shored up on in, in our lives and be prepared so that when the opportunity comes to talk about the hope, when the opportunity comes to talk about Jesus, that the that, that it's coming from, from a growing knowledge of, of who God is and, and what Christ has done. And we're going to see here how Paul presents the gospel and how he changes, he has to change his approach to the message, what he's been doing uh, over and over again, just kind of almost on repeat, going to the synagogue, reasoning from the scriptures, identifying uh, the, the Messiah is Jesus Christ, proving that to them, calling them to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and get baptized and start the church. That's not going to work in Athens in that same way. And so he changes his approach, but not the message. And so we need to meet people where they're at. And then we also need to open the doors of opportunity that we have. Look at in verses 19 to 21, and it says, And, and they took him and brought him to the... Uh, where do they take him? Anyone know? What does your Bible say there? Anyone else's Bible say anything different? Is it all that? Arapagus? They take him to the... Arapagus, and, and, and it says, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what this means. 
Now, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend, time, spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So here is Paul going to the Areopagus, and he's able to go, and, and it's also known or is, is referred to in some translations and, and, and Bible teaching as Mars Hill. This is a place where public trials would be held, and this is believed to, to be the actual place where, where Paul stood and gave this incredible message that we're going to see in a few moments. It was here that, that, that public trials would take place as well as philosophical debates and speeches. And because Paul is, is declaring some new kind of teaching, they're intrigued, they're interested. And so they say, why don't you come? And, and you share here on the top of Mars Hill and share with us what you believe. We're very interested. We're very intrigued. And so this was a tremendous honor, a great opportunity for Paul. Now, one thing about Athens we need to understand, you can even see modern-day Athens there in, in the background there, one of those pictures. One of the things about Athens at this time that Paul uh, was here, it was in a period of decline. It was in its glory years, four to five hundred years before this, but it was no longer the political and the economic center of the Roman Empire. But even though now her golden age has passed as a city, Athens was still considered the, the cultural and the um, philosophical sort of center for the Roman Empire. It was kind of the university city. This was the place where philosophy and, 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 and thinking was. This is where Aristotle and Socrates spent much of their time among other great old Roman thinkers, Roman and Greek thinkers and philosophers. And so Paul was invited to go here to Mars Hill and to proclaim the word of God. What an opportunity. What an what a open door came his way. And in the same way, folks, we need to be looking for open doors to be able to share the gospel with those around us. It's not, not necessarily talking about getting up on a piece of rock, a street corner somewhere, and preaching. God may call you to do that, and I hope that for some of you, he may do that. But it's looking for those doors of opportunity. And you know so oftentimes for us when that door of opportunity opens is when people are hurting, when people are walking through a difficult time in their life, a loss, an illness, a marriage breakup, or somehow they verbalize to you that this endless pursuit they're on is just going nowhere. And we need to look at the doors of opportunity and not just look at them and think, eh, I should do something, but we need to walk through it. Hospital visits can be a wonderful opportunity to go and visit a friend, a neighbor, a coworker who is sick, who is not doing well, and share the gospel. Just recently, I was just heard from my parents that for seven years they have been living in this kind of a... Um, housing complex, a kind of a condo strata area, and their next door neighbors Strong German guy with a strong accent, Alec and his wife. We've all met him. He has gotten to know some of my brothers and sisters and their families. And, and my mom and dad have a great relationship. I've had this for the seven years. And my dad, the other day, texted and he says, I'm just so broken about this. Alec died and he died rather suddenly. And he says, I've never shared the gospel more with anyone in my life and it was just always a firm rejection, just no interest and even he had had a fall and he ended up in the hospital and, and my dad was reminding him on the Saturday, last Saturday, he says, you're lucky to be alive, you're so fortunate, God has a plan, God wants you to call out to him and, and, and my dad, he asked my dad about the Syrian ministry they're about and, and my dad said, you know, he said, oh, the Syrians are coming to know Jesus and, and he used that as a springboard to talk about the gospel with Alec and Alec still just no interest, just reject Reject, 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 and Alex passed away. As far as we know, 
to a life away from God. It's taking advantage of those opportunities and leaving the results to God. But we need to open those doors and oftentimes it's going to be for us in a place, finding people in a place of hurt and being able to, to love them and to then speak to them the truths and the words of the gospel. And so our motivation, it starts at the heart, continues on meeting people where they're at and opening the doors of opportunity. But now let's take a look at the message, the message that we are to proclaim. And, and it, it, it's about this speaking the whole truth. That's really important when it comes to our message that we speak the whole truth about Jesus. And you see, the main schools of thought in, in Athens in this day, the two powerful kind of rival sort of schools of thought were the Epicureans, as we heard, as well as the Stoics. Now, the Epicureans, in short, um, I mean, words that, that we hear today, they were all about the pursuit of pleasure and fine living. It wasn't for them, and this might be a good way to just, in short, understand the history behind this is fascinating. And yet it ended for their leaders in, in such despair. The, the, the early leaders of this movement ended up committing suicide because it just was an endless life. It wasn't sex, drugs, and rock and roll, not hard living, but it was more eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow, we're dead, and that's the end. That's the Epicureans, and this is their kind of thinking. They didn't really believe in a God, and, and they figured if there is a God, even though we really don't think there is one, he's far off. He's far off. No one can know him. And they were basically existentialists. They, they, they didn't believe in ultimate truth, but rather truth came by personal experience. It's what you think is true is true. If it's true for you, it's true. That's good. And, 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 and they were um, just eat, drink, and be merry. Pursuing fine living. The Stoics, they denied the idea of one God. They were pantheists. They believed in many gods, that anything could be God. The ground could be God. The tree could be God. Sex is a God. And, and, and all of this, just, just, just gods upon gods, anything and everything had, had, a, had a God soul within it. And, and, and so you go around life like that. Huge emphasis on Stoics, on personal discipline and, and um, self-control and duty and, and, uh, and pleasure. Pleasure wasn't good. No, pleasure wasn't good. And pain was not necessarily evil. And life was about reason, uh, was about following one's reason and, and to be self-sufficient, to be unmoved by your feelings and, and circumstances. And therefore, we get the word Stoic today. In short, short way to understand this, the Epicureans enjoy life, Stoics endure life. And so you had these two opposing thoughts. Now Paul had an opportunity to proclaim Christ, to proclaim the gospel, but on two schools of thought that were on total opposite ends of the philosophical scale of things. What an opportunity, but what a need for the Holy Spirit's anointing upon him. And folks, in anything that we do, the cause of the gospel, for it not to just be mere words, but to have an impact for God to make a difference. It can't be the preacher. It can't be the speaker. It can't be us doing the work. It's got to be us under the control and power of the Holy Spirit. And it's praying in humility, oh God, help me to have the words. I'm sure that Paul studied and prepared for this. And so let's read here what took place in this message. What a message it was. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. 
For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar to, with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the, in it being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries for their dwellings, for their dwelling place. And they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far off from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. But then God's offspring, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has a fixed day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And this he has given assurance, by, assurance to us all by raising him from the dead. Now, folks, if you break down this sermon, it is absolutely brilliant in what he has to say. Notice he doesn't start out at the very beginning in verse 22. He doesn't start out blasting them. He starts out with respect and, and complimenting them and, 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 and telling them that... Um, Verse 22, he says, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He's saying, I, I'm noticing your altars. I'm noticing all these idols. In his heart, he's saying, I want to smash them. But he doesn't. No, because remember, his heart is love, compassion. And even though these, he knows these are such a big obstacle and something that's destroying their life, he's respectful to them. Again, I take a lesson from my dad, who to me is just an incredible evangelist. One thing he's, he's told us, and, when, and he's done this, he, even here in Kelowna, as uh, we've been around various people, is he said, if you want to get talking with someone rather easily, and if they're walking their dog, just compliment them on their dog. Just say, oh, what a night. My dad doesn't like dogs. And, yet, and, and this is why I'm like, Dad, why are you saying this? He says, oh, that's a really nice dog you have there. What kind of dog is it? It means nothing to my dad. I mean, you, you could probably ask him five minutes, what kind of dog was that? Well, I have no clue. My dad's concerned about their heart. And, 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 and to turn that like for a dog into an opportunity to find out where they stand with Jesus Christ. Brilliant. And, and, and in a way, it, it's being respectful and it's complimenting. And, and, and that is what... Paul is doing here. He's being respectful. He's complimenting. He says, I perceive in every way you're very religious. And then in verses 28 and 29, if you look down there, Paul quotes even their own poets, their own writers. And, 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 and don't get, get, get us wrong here. And this, this, this message at times have been distorted in some negative ways. And, and, and this is how Paul, he, he's not endorsing these poets and these authors, but he's taking a stand. He's taken a, or a strand of their thoughts and he shows how the one true God is the answer to what they're writing about. How he's basically helping to fill in the blanks that, that they're leaving. He's using an incredible debating tactic of quoting your opponent's own writers to support your own argument. It was brilliant. And it, it, it won them over. It made them realize, hey, this guy, he knows what he's talking about. He understands our culture. He's aware of what's going on. 
And so he's winning them over in this way, and, 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 and he's building this bridge, and, and, and building this bridge so that he can get them to the point where he can talk about the one true God. And in verse 23, he says, I notice you even have an altar. It continues. Here's the bridge. I know you have an altar to the unknown God. And it was common in those days, and in fact, even today, archaeology has discovered in other cities in that region, it seemed like a common thing in those cities to have an altar, to have a statue of some sort, and it was inscribed to the unknown God, because with all the different gods out there, you didn't want, you know, another god to all of a sudden show up and be a little upset, hey, where's my altar? You know, and it's, oh, he's right here. We're not sure your name, but here you go. And so, so they were ready, you know, for this. And, and, and they just didn't want to miss one. So, so it was just kind of, you know, have, have that extra plate at the table. Just you never know who might show up. And, you know, and, and so what he's declaring to them, though, is, I mean, they have this fear that there might be a deity that, that they're forgetting or a deity that is unknown. He said, I want you to know who it is. I want to tell you who this unknown God is. And so he's using this brilliant method and bridge to be able to use it to proclaim the God of the universe. And so he wants to tell them who this unknown God is. But Paul couldn't reason with them from the scriptures like he did in the synagogue because to them the scriptures meant nothing. It had no authority. For those in the synagogue, those who studied the words uh, word of God, it made sense to argue from Scripture, but he couldn't do that here. Not yet. He, 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 he had to, and nor could he start at John 3.16. So oftentimes we think, hey, the, the place I start in sharing the gospel is my go-to verse. You know, learned it when I was four years old, haven't forgotten it, and it's a great way. He, he couldn't start at John 3.16, and nor should we always be starting at John 3.16 when it comes to sharing the gospel with others. Because John 3.16 would have no bearing, no weight, no authority for them, no understanding. And so he takes and he puts the gospel into the bigger picture. He's showing it to be a reasonable faith and an exclusive faith. One that is, and, and so he has to take them back to Genesis 1.1. He has to take them back to the very beginning and build it from there. And he builds the gospel story for them through Genesis 1-1, through the creation of this world. D.A. Carson tells a story of a missionary who went to India and became very fluent in the Hindi language and, and uh, would go out and he would proclaim Jesus. And, and he had many, many people give their hearts over to Jesus Christ and, and were baptized. It, it was phenomenal what, what ended up happening is he took this time and as he, he, he preached to them Jesus. And, but over the years, he saw many, many, many professions of faith but he was unable to plant a single church. He wasn't able to plant a church in that area. People would come for a while and then they would just fall away. And what he realized is he went home for a season and he was discouraged because the, he was boasting all of these people who prayed the prayer, if you want to say it like that, and, and were baptized, but then they would just drop off and there was no church being established. And, and, and he's wondering what's going on. And then he understood the Lord just really showed him and convicted him that really what was happening, they were taking John 3.16 and just absorbing it into their pantheistic thinking, which underlines Hinduism, that, that, that Jesus was just another one of their gods, just something good to kind of have on your shelf. And so, yes, I'll pray this prayer. Yes, I'll get baptized. But they don't understand that the exclusivity of our God, that he's the one true God, the only God. And as he went back with a new passion to proclaim the gospel, not from John 3.16, but from, John 1, or from Genesis 1.1 1, 1, and from there on, he had fewer converts 
but he established strong churches in that area. And this is exactly what Paul did. He took them to Genesis 1.1. And even here on the screen, I trust you'll be able to see the breakdown of, of this. We're not going to have time to go through all of this. You may want to write it, uh, write these things down, or be able to uh, maybe snap a picture of it. Or if you're interested in, in a copy of it, we can make sure it gets emailed. Just send an email to us. But here what he is doing is as he works them through that the greatness of God is our creator, how God is the sustainer and the giver of life, how he's personal and knowable, how how. Uh, the, wants them to understand the government of God, how he's over all things and, and in all things. And, and yet he, he wants us to know him as his creation. And, and he's not that far off. He's not some distant deity. He's close by. And so he's touching on both the Stoics and, and, and the Epicurean line of thinking. And, and in this presentation, he talks about the grace of God. He lets them know that God wants to seek them out. And he shares about Jesus as, as being the one who was resurrected from the dead as well as the judge, but ultimately our rescuer. And he points them to the supremacy of Christ as God as creator. He shows them the sovereignty of God over all the nations. Even he points out in a loving but a very powerful way the foolishness of idolatry. God has need of nothing. We don't need to worship him in the way that you are. And, and he declares to them that this God is close by. He even in this deals with the pride of the Greek culture because they basically thought, if you're Greek, you're something. If you're Greek, you're in. If you're not... And he even talks about how we all come from one man. We all come from Adam. We're all from the same bloodline. And that just like humbles and deflates their, their Greek pride that they had. Beautiful, beautiful message. But Paul did not leave the message unfinished. He takes and he proclaims Jesus and the resurrection. And some say, well, he didn't hear. But folks, we believe this is just a summary of his message. That messages here on Mars Hill would usually go for anywhere from two to three hours. You think I preach long. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He preached one time so long, uh, he was preaching in the night. A guy fell out of the window, fell, fell to the floor, to the ground, and died. And uh, then Paul went and prayed over him, revived him. And, and what did Paul do? He kept preaching. He preached through the night, and I promise I won't do that. But, I mean, here, here Paul is giving this message, and he's speaking about, he, he, he introduces Jesus and, and the resurrection from the dead, and, and, and yet he just doesn't give them information. He leaves them with a decision to make. He pleads with them to repent, to turn from idolatry, and turn to the true God, to the one true God. And in verse 31, you see here that he warns them of the judgment that is coming. Folks, judgment is a coming. We need to be aware of that. We need to understand that there is an appointed day. There's an appointed time. And it will be universal. He even tells them here that, that it will be for all people. And our only hope to escape the judgment of God is to turn from your sins, to repent. Turn from your idolatry and turn towards the one true God, the God of the Bible. But you see, folks, even today in our churches, just like even back, back then, repentance and judgment are not popular topics of the day. This would have created quite a, a thunderstorm in the, in the lives of, of, these, of the listeners here. People don't want to hear about repentance. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to hear about judgment. So let's just talk exclusively about the love of God. But folks, that's not the whole gospel. That's why we need to share the whole truth of the word of God. 
When it comes to the message, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We don't add to it, but we don't subtract to it from it either. John Stott, this quote, um, many people reject the gospel not because they perceive, perceive it to be false, but because they perceive it to be trivial. That's a powerful statement. And many people reject the gospel not because they perceive it to be false, but be, because they perceive it to be trivial. And could it mean partially, and part of the reason for that is because the pastor, when the pastor of the largest church in North America openly does not preach against sin, against, doesn't talk about judgment or repentance because he believes that God raised him to preach a positive message. It trivializes Christianity. It trivializes the gospel. It ignores its depth, its exclusivity, and the seriousness of rejecting Jesus. People, when they just hear that part, it's, it's just adding Jesus to another list of gods, to a pantheistic culture that we're actually living in when we're pursuing all of these other idols in our lives. Jesus simply becomes just a feel-good means to my own personal ends. Jesus is my co-pilot. What a silly bumper sticker, hey? Speaking of, at times, we may even think that when it comes to sharing the gospel, you know, I need to have a bumper sticker or I need to have, you know, um, a cheesy Christian t-shirt. Um, Charlotte usually uh, enjoys going thrift store shopping and... Um, and when she, she goes, I usually always remind her, don't, don't feel you need to buy anything for me, dear. Um, and she finds a lot of great things there, but she couldn't resist. She, she spent $6 on me recently. And she did declare to me, I could not wear this anywhere uh, but at home for doing odd jobs and stuff around the house. And um, because it's one of these cheesy Christian t-shirts. And it's also up on the screen, so you can, can read it. Can you put it up there? Want to talk about Jesus? And then let us pray. I mean, it's just like, that is so bad. That is so cheesy. And that is just so wrong. And sometimes we think, you know, I got the bumper sticker. And, and, and I have, you know, the cheesy shirt, you know, uh, like Spirit Up instead of Sprite Up or, or Seven. I, I don't know. Like, you see some of those. And it's just like, those are, are, are accidents waiting to, to happen. Like, that, that's just bad. Like, don't do that. Um, we don't want to trivialize the gospel. You can poke some fun at stuff like that. But Paul takes with seriousness and, and presents the gospel through Genesis 1-1, through God our creator, and works them through to Jesus who came to pay the penalty for our sins. The gospel is about understanding who God is, what Christ has done in order for us to be reconciled to God and our response, we're left with the response of repenting or ignoring. Ignoring these truths. And repenting means, though, that we turn away from what we once believed and, and, and we turn away from the direction that we were heading. It's not just have God as your co-pilot, have God next to you and then just continue living your life. No, it's, it, it's taking up our cross daily and following him. It's making war on the idols of our hearts that we chase after. And it's about worshiping and pursuing first and foremost above all things the one true God. And the wonderful promise that we have in, in God's word is that when we seek first the kingdom of God, when he is first, we seek him and his righteousness, it says he will add unto our lives blessing 
and glory and honor that we could never imagine all do him. We kind of think, well, what kind of response did Paul get there on Mars Hill as he's proclaiming this truth? Verse 32, it says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, "Will We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysus and Arapaget, the Arapaget, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. Some mocked when he started talking about the resurrection. Some said, hey, we want to know more. And Dionysus, he was one of the leaders. He was one of the, these Greek philosophers, one of these Greek leaders, and he believed. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of what God can and will do when we are faithful to proclaiming his truth, when it's in a heart of love. When we have the right motivation, we take advantage of the opportunities we have and we proclaim the whole message of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that tomorrow morning that you all need to head to UBCO or Okanagan College or go to your high schools or go to the street corners and stand and become these street preachers and and Christian apologetists like Paul was. God has called people to that ministry and we need to encourage, we need to learn from them and, and be challenged by the way that they go about teaching and, and, and learning um, the word of God to present in these ways and we can learn so much from them. People like Ravi Zacharias, man who just speaks the truth boldly and in, in, into all kinds of settings and we can learn from him and from the ministry he's a part of. But Paul simply went out in the power of the Holy Spirit and he was faithful to the calling of God that was upon him. And I mean, everything so much that it all had happened in his life brought him to this special moment. This moment where he grew up being familiar with the scriptures because he was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He had incredible training in the word of God that made him so effective in sharing in the synagogues and speaking to the Jewish people. But also by nature, um, by, by birth, he was also a Roman citizen. And so that gave him certain privileges, but also training and understanding in, in Roman law. But also uh, by his nature in, in where he was born in Tarsus, he was a Greek. And so he was familiar with the philosophies and the idolatry and everything that went on in the Greek culture. But everything changed in his life when he met Jesus Christ. And God took all from his past, all of that learning and everything that he learned, and then through a season of waiting and, and continued learning after his coming to know Christ as his Savior and as he was faithful, God brought him to this important point in history to be able to share on this very important ground and share the gospel. And folks, what God is calling you to do is to be faithful where you're at, to be faithful in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, that we would have hearts that are, are stirred, that are motivated out of love, hearts that are stirred and provoked to, to speak to others, that we would think outside of our own, the box of our own life and look at the lives of others and have a godly and a, a, a compassion for the lost. It's about declaring a message, declaring judgment and repentance that are necessary, that, that judgment is coming and repentance is necessary. Proclaiming John 3.16, yes, that's a wonderful truth, but helping them to understand the one true God. It's about being faithful where he's called us. May we be bold in our witness as we share Christ in a very Christless culture. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are with us in 
when it comes to sharing these truths that as we come before you in humility and, and with great opportunities that present us, so God, I pray that, that we would lean in to your spirit, but we would also study, and study uh, your word so that we would be workmen approved to be able to share these truths with one another, whether that be in a small group setting, but then also with the lost people around us. And from this, Lord, we would learn from the Apostle Paul. We would learn from those that accompanied him, the great cost that was involved in this, but the great glory as, as you gave him uh, this fruitfulness as people did get saved. Many rejected, and we know that many will reject our message today. But Lord, even today in the hundreds of the thousands of people that we collectively will pass by in the, in, in the days ahead, oh God, we pray that we would have a burden for the lost, a burden that we would do something about it. And we would study, we would learn your truths from your word, but we would also just start opening our mouths, looking for those opportunities to share the greatest hope of this world, bringing it all back to Jesus and helping people to understand the cost, understand who Jesus is, the Son of God. Lord, I pray if there's distractions in our lives and idols that we're pursuing, we would be quick to repent of those to pursue the one true God, that we would lift your name higher in all that we say and do, higher than any other name, not ours, not our company, not our power, our position, anything like that. You would receive the glory. Oh God, would you increase in our lives and would we decrease for your honor and your glory. God, your word says that you oppose the proud and you give grace to the humble. May we in humility serve and love and speak to those around us, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Let's stand together.